Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another week, another season here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 18, going back to last year, number 18. On today's show, we're looking at uh, three different segments. Last year, remember, I sat down every single week with Greg Cosell from NFL Films, who was fantastic. And then we touch on uh, college football and the NFL draft with a guest, a different guest each week. This year, we're going to add a little bit more structure as I bring in our, uh, our, my esteemed producer here, Brian Thomas. A little bit more structure to the show this year. Trying to bring it, you know, step on our professionalism a week, year or two in, in, the, in the show. That's right. So every week, you know, we're going to open the show, and the very first segment we're gonna, we call Chalk Talk, and that'll be uh, hardcore X's and O's. You know, it'll be a different guest each week. This week, it's going to be Chris Brown. Uh, you follow him on Twitter at Smart Football. He just came out with his second book, The Art of Smart Football, uh, which I got through very, very quickly. And uh, I have a great conversation here with Chris coming up. So uh, we'll have the conversation with Chris. And then our second segment is going to be called Two Technique. And in Two Technique, Every week, I'm going to talk to a current or a former player, and we're just gonna, it's going to be a quick conversation, but it's going to be focused on one particular situation, a play, a concept, one situation in a football game uh, that might have to do with their position. So uh, that'll be that every week. And this week, I've got Ross Tucker, uh, former NFL offensive lineman, podcast savant, Ross Tucker. We're going to talk about the power run game. Uh, so excited about that conversation. And then lastly, much like last year, we're going to end it talking about college football and the NFL draft. We're going to call it Saturday Scouting. And to this week, uh, we've got an old friend, Tony Pauline from DraftInsider.net, is going to join us and talk about some of the big storylines as we head into training camp for the college football landscape. But uh, before we get into that, let me just bring BT back in. BT, you're going to talk to the, to the viewers, to the listeners uh, each week. What do you have to say this week? Well, the big, biggest thing for fans is just to comment, to like us, to, to really give, us our, give their feedback to us because that's how we'll get better and make the show kind of what you guys want. So whether you're listening on iTunes or Stitcher or you know wherever you guys consume the podcast, just send us your feedback, like us, comments, whatever however you guys want to do it. Um, it'll really help us for the show and kind of give you guys what you want. So uh, just you know, do what you can to kind of uh, give us your feedback. All right, that's that's the plan. So again, go online, go on uh, and rate us, leave us a comment, and we'll keep going and try and make the show better. Let's kick things off like we will each and every week. Let's go to Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. This week on the show, I wanted to bring in a guy that I've followed for a long time. He's one of the best there is in the media when it comes to the X's and O's side of football. You could follow him on Twitter, at SmartFootball. And if you haven't already, I really strongly suggest you go out and get his second book, The Art of Smart Football. Chris Brown is here. Hey, Chris, how's it going? Doing well. Thanks so much for having me on. No, I really appreciate it, and I, I got to tell you, I got through your book in what amounted to a few hours at the beach uh, before we got back here for the start of training camp. It's such an easy read, and I love it that each chapter is its own entity. You can just breeze through the book in no time, uh, and the one chapter I really wanted to talk to you about was the 10th one, uh, and it's titled The Influencer, Chip Kelly, and you go into such a great detail about the Eagles head coach and some of the schemes he employs here in Philadelphia. What inspired you to talk about Chip? Uh, well, the hard part is is probably not talking about Chip too much these days. Um, it, and as a national guy, I try to have a beat that covers the NFL and college. So um, Chip is obviously a pretty fascinating figure right now. Um, 
but I followed the guy for years. I mean, I can't say that I was, uh, you know, visiting New Hampshire training camps, you know, de- a decade ago to, to pick up what's going on. But pretty much as soon as he got to Oregon, you started hearing rumblings and start catching games and things. Um, you know, I'm a Purdue graduate, and they had a uh, sort of a home-and-home home series going on at, with, with Purdue. Um, and I even knew some of the Purdue coaches back at the time because Joe Tiller was still there. Um, and he had home-and-home home with uh, with Oregon back when he was offensive coordinator. So very quickly, um, you know, caught on to what they were doing, and, and, and obviously it was a big splash. Um, and then him taking over at the head gig so quickly was, was a self-fascinating. So, um, I mean, what we're seeing now, which is the continual permutation of this recent but uh, but sort of weirdly long-coming meteoric rise, um, sort of went on back then. But from an X's and O's perspective, you know, I – I've been following the spread offense and up-tempo offenses. I mean, when I first started doing football writing, you know, back in, and really even doing some coaching stuff back in, you know, 2000, 2001, you know, that was when all this stuff was brand new, the zone read and everything. Um, so so when Chip got to, you know, Oregon and, and started lighting people up and really taking that whole concept to the next level, it was a natural thing to start following them. And then you, you know, as soon as you pop it on, you see interesting wrinkles and, tempo you hadn't seen before and and um so it was just pretty obvious and then then you know then you actually the obvious curiosity when he got to the nfl was will it work and you know you get the infamous tip kelly will be the worst head coach in nfl history and all those kind of fun articles um and then seeing how that played out in practice and then and then really the thing that i probably didn't appreciate until he was head coach of oregon which we can talk about is all the um the sports science stuff which which also just was a way to get into some of that which I do think is um, is where a lot of the real cutting-edge stuff these days goes. I do a lot of X's and O's, but there's a lot of fascinating stuff on learning methods and, and obviously training that, that is only going to get more and more uh, important here, particularly in the NFL, but really at all levels of football. Yeah, and you bring up a good point that that's really where the cutting edge stuff is is the is the sports science side of it. And Chip has always said, and you mentioned the quote in the book, he's never really he doesn't do anything offensively that's ultimately riveting at this point in the game. I mean, they run inside zone, they run outside zone, they've got a sweep play, they've got a power play, you know, they've got a three step pass game, a five step pass game. He just does a good job of taking advantage of the numbers game uh, with defenses. And you, you know whether you're going to play with two high safeties and we're going to run the ball at you, or if you're going to play single high and we're going to throw on you. Uh, it's just something that all the best offenses in football do, and Chip Kelly's one of the best at it. Yeah, and, and a lot of it, and, and the theme throughout the book is for offenses and defenses. A lot of it's um, you know drawing on the ideas of the past and drawing on what what other people have done, but then how you put it together. And how sensible your package is. So that's why, as you said, you know, we're not. If you look at any given play, there's a screen, there's a pass, there's a, you know, West. They run the old West Coast Hank concept a million times a game. Um, you know, they run, as you said, inside zone, some power, all that kind of stuff. But it's how it all fits together, so that when you're in the game and the defense is reacting to you, do you have answers for what they're doing or ways to take subtle advantage of it? Um, and going back even to time at Oregon. I remember Monty Kiffin was, you know, after one of those USC games where they gave up a, a jillion yards, um, you know, he, he talked about, he's like, the best guy in the, in the Pac-12 we were talking about at the in-game adjustments is, is Chip. I mean, the guy's just really good. And he's, Monty Kiffin has faced a lot of great deep offenses. Talking about he's one of the best that he'd ever been around about those, those subtle in-game adjustments. And then, the, and then the tempo, too, obviously. You throw the tempo in, and it just makes it even harder. It adds another layer uh, to that offense. It, it, it does, and that's obviously been been a, been a big theme for his whole career was faster, faster, faster. And I try to talk about how 
Um, you know, the whole thing with the tempo is it's not so much we're just a no-huddle offense, we're a no-huddle program, or in the Eagles' case, a, a no-huddle organization. Um, think fast, talk fast, do everything fast, be efficient, all of those kind of things just melds with, with, um, with his whole approach. Um, but then also it's a little more subtle than people think. It's not just trying to go a million miles an hour every play. They do that, but it's more, you know, changing the tempos and finding when to press the button. And Chip has talked about talk about it a little bit in, in some of the other chapters, but, you know, Peyton Manning's a master at, you know, going fast when the defense isn't ready and they're trying to substitute in or make adjustments. And then when they're, once they've adjusted and they're lining up really fast, then he slows it down and figures out what they're doing and then adjusting to that on the fly. And I think Chip has tried to mold, you know, his offense around that over time, though, um, with more of an even more of an emphasis on the tempo. I will say the tempo stuff has been fascinating to watch in the NFL. Um, you know, I remain convinced that, that Chip would like to go a lot faster than he does, and I think he, I still think he's trying to figure out the right way to do that in the NFL given the roster limitations. Um, and then also just, you know, there's program buy-in about, you know, you hand the ball to the running back, he's the running back has to get up and sprint the ball to the official, which is kind of a, you know, a high school Harry kind of move, you know, here, Mr. Official, here's the ball. Um, but you need to do that stuff to make them set it quickly. And then it's been interesting to, to see because the Patriots have slowed down a fair amount in the last couple of years. And I've seen stuff from Belichick and I've seen stuff from Chip. And then I've seen stuff from Nick Saban talked about this a bunch because he's always getting questions about tempo and the future of football. Um, you know, the officials in the NFL really control the flow of the game the way it, whereas in college, it's really the, the teams and the officials are just really instructed to keep up. And, and it depends on the conference, but certainly in the Pac-12, that's the case. Whereas, you know, the officials, you know, it's not to say that they're trying to slow the game down, but they're very much going at their pace. Um, and I've seen Belichick talk about you can't, you can only go so fast. You know, I think there's some questions with Chip and press conference saying, you know, uh, would you like to go faster? And he kind of says, or is this as fast as you were in college? And it's sort of like, well, you can't go as fast as you can in college just because of the nature of the officiating. So that that's interesting, and I think that plus having a non-mobile quarterback and some of the other NFL elements, um, I'll be really interested to see how it all plays out You know, next year with the offense looks like. Because I do think it's, a, I wouldn't say a work in progress, but I don't think it's a static thing that, it, um, that uh, you know, he still just has the Chip Kelly package exactly what it is. I, I expect some changes. Maybe they'll be fewer than I think, but I expect some evolution. Yeah, I, I think we've seen over the past couple of years how the offense has, has changed a little bit. You know, we saw a little bit when it was Michael Vick uh, under center. There was a little bit more zone read than what we saw in years past. Though, hey, we saw Mark Sanchez make a number of big runs off zone read plays a year ago in goal lines and uh, short yardage situations. But I'm excited this year for, you know, seeing what Sam Bradford brings. Obviously, as long as he's healthy – uh, he's got that great experience running a no-huddle system uh, during his time under Kevin Wilson in Oklahoma and what uh, you know, he was able to accomplish there as part of the Sooners program. Uh, really what, you know, if, if he's able to execute this offense to the tempo that Chip wants on a down-in, down-out basis, I'll be interested to see what that does. And obviously from the run game perspective, uh, you know, DeMarco Murray and Ryan Matthews, two guys that are going to hit it up inside, you know how they're going to be able to wear defenses down. How that game plan is going to execute itself will be really interesting to see, especially early on. Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting. I mean, on the run game specifically, um, you know, when you watch Oregon, um, it's, if you go back when Chip was offensive coordinator at Oregon, they really ran I think like three plays, three or four plays. They ran the inside zone, they ran a lot of outside zone, and then they kind of ran more of a counter trade play. 
Then the counter trade play evolved into a one-back counter play where they either just had a tight end or kind of a little H-back where it, it really turns into more of an ISO play, but instead of a fullback, it's just a backside guard. Compared to the traditional tight end fullback power play, which is really more of a true down block play with a, the guard you know, the guard wrapping around and the fullback kicking out. Um, and so that was that was sort of one of the evolutions, which will give them a little more flexibility to, when they were going to, to unbalance formations and things. And, and if you look at, like, the 2009 Southern Cal game, um, when they really, you know, did a number on Pete Carroll and, uh, and, and, and those guys, they uh, – they did a bunch of unbalanced and ran their one-back power. And then around the same time, that's when they they sort of he started adding the um, the, the pulling guard the pulling guard and center sweep play that 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 he, that he put in, which was a little bit influenced by um, you know the old wing T buck sweep and a couple other other things. And it's been interesting at, at um, you know in the NFL, they I feel like they've gotten almost no mileage out of. The, the one-back power play. I think I go back to the Tampa Bay game his first year for a game where they really got some pro- productivity out of the power play. And then if you watch the very next week, they played the Giants, and they ran some stunts and things and really, you know, really hurt the, the Eagles pretty bad about getting around the center's block back and things. And, and it's really been touch and go on getting much mileage out of that, the one-back power. And then they also have gotten very little mileage out of the, the outside zone play the right. true outside zone with all the the, the the true stretch play, and and I've kind of wondered about that, and, and you know there was a little bit last year where you saw Chip they try to kind of go into like a little bit of a pistol set and try to hand it off to get a more traditional NFL angle, and you saw like you know the Redskins when they had Mike Shanahan they would do the pistol with the, you know it's not a read it's just the guy running that way, and um, and, and they've been really vulnerable to linebacker run throughs where you know instead of the linebacker trying to sweep over the top to to stop the run play he just Turns and runs straight, you know, down down downhill to blow up the play in the backfield. I don't know if it's sort of a Lashawn McCoy thing, which is it may be. You know, he's an excellent inside zone runner, so and very slippery and put up huge numbers doing that. Um, but there's been something missing on the outside zone, and so really they've turned into the first year they're really an inside zone team. Last year they couldn't get a lot of movement up front with the guards in the center, so they really turned into. I mean, what was their best play last year for the run game? It was. Sweet play, sweet play, sweet play, sweet play, sweet play. And Lashawn McCoy's pretty good because he was kind of patient and he could sort of slip around and then, you know, cut it up. But they also took negative runs on that play. And and that play is really more of a change-up play. Um, And it was really the only thing you felt like they could get any any yards on last year, which I think resulted in a couple games where they threw a lot and and, and sort of got it behind the chain. So that will be interesting to see to me two things. One, I think if you watch DeMarco Murray with the Cowboys, their best play and his best play was the outside zone. So I would not be shocked if in either explicitly or implicitly Chip Kelly was like, I, I want an outside zone runner. Um, I mean, outside zone was really the play at Oregon. They took more negative plays on it, but that was the big run. That was where they got those 70 yards, 60 sure. yard runs was to stretch them out. And then they, you know, more Michael James or Kenny on Barnett runs vertical. And then, and then um, the other thing that, uh, you know, maybe I make too much out of it, but I think is interesting is um, he brought in, the new QB coach, Ryan Day, from Boston College, which if you look at, if you watch Boston College, and obviously Chip has a history with, with him, but if you watch Boston College, the offenses, or the head coach there has got Steve Adazio, who's an old Urban Meyer assistant and, um, and an old offensive line coach too. Um, and they had a really nifty system for teaching gap block plays, which was, you know, 
those power and counterplays where it was basically there was a ton of carryover with the way they taught the in the zone plays, which they used Chip uses a numbering system to figure out who to block on zone plays. They they count the defenders as like you know, center zero. Yeah, you start inside you start inside out and go zero to, to both both sides, right? Yeah, exactly. And then and then you're able and then the advantage of that, and there's other things within that that they have to do to get the combos and the technique, but the advantage of that is you can add a tight end, you can add a read, you can do that really easily and you can read different defenders and it's a very easy system, especially when you're going up tempo and you're trying to you're not worried about they're in an eagle front, they're in a bear front, they're in a four three. You just sort of do the count and it should work out. Um, Adazio has a great little system where it's the gap block, the power plays, you just flip the count the other way, and then you've got the pulling guys to kick out and to lead up. So maybe give me a little credit if you see them start to run more counter tray in the traditional power, though they probably won't, and I'll look foolish for having mentioned it. But <laughs> Ryan Day obviously has experience with those kind of plays, and Boston College was really last year a, um, a power spread team. Um, so, I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they don't do a little more of that because I do feel like, you know, they got so much mileage out of the sweep that, that they're going to have to find a way to run inside a little better than they did last year. Now, a lot of that was just the offensive line, so, so that'll be interesting. And then the last thing, and move on, is that Sam Bradford. Um, is um, That'll be fascinating to watch. I mean, it's all about that guy's health. Um, I You know, I think definitely he's in the mold of what Chip wants in terms of a guy with a quick decision, quick decision-making, ability to go up-tempo, like you say, though he's still getting used to the offense. Um, and then he has physical tools and, and, and on short to intermediate stuff, known for being very accurate and very smart guy. So, you know, it looks like it could be a good fit, and obviously what Chip is hoping for is he's basically hoping to get his true breeze, basically. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited to see how this offense unfolds this fall. So, uh, you know, we're, we're a few weeks away here. The last thing I wanted to hit on, and this was just another chapter from your book, and that's about package plays. Uh, it's a concept that, you know, it's running rampant all over the NFL right now. You saw a handful of teams doing it. Uh, you know, in 2012, 2013, maybe about half the league, maybe a little bit more doing it last fall. And I would expect that number to rise this season. What do you see as the best part of using those package plays? Well, I, you know, I think it's really, um, I think there are a couple elements that make it sort of pertinent for today. I mean, I, I think one of the things that's fascinating about them is, um, you know, when you see some, something that's, you know, quote, new or innovative, almost always, you know, certainly in the NFL, but really at any level of football, there's some analog for um, this was really a version of what was done 30 years ago or 70 years ago or 80 years ago. There's there's something that was there, whether it's the read option or some of these quarterback runs or some of these defensive concepts. This is pretty new. I mean, this stuff, there's not a great um, analog for, for what teams are doing. Now, I put I put the package plays in a couple different buckets. Um, the one that's been around the longest, um, and just to define them quickly, it's where you combine multiple types of plays within one play. And I think the, the simplest idea is your offensive line is blocking for a run play. And then within that, you've got options for the quarterback to, to throw the ball, say, on a screen or even a downfield pass. So there are also versions where you've got a downfield pass combined with maybe a draw play or a screen play. Um, and the idea you're divorcing what the, court, the, the receivers are doing or certain offense players are doing and what the line is doing and then giving the option to the quarterback. So, you know, bubble screens and quick receiver screens, that's been around for 15, maybe 20 years. You know, Drew Brees at Purdue was doing that kind of stuff with run plays and bubble screens. But obviously the thing that's really new are the idea of packaging downfield pass routes where there's slants, there's post routes, there's comeback routes, there's hitches, um, you know, crossing routes. 
combined with a running play. It's pretty pretty fascinating stuff. Um, I mean, the thing that I think makes it special is it's it's read option football without putting your quarterback at risk and for quarterbacks who can't run the read option. So it's a similar concept to, you know, zone read, you're going to hand it off, or if the defensive end crashes, you keep it, except instead of keeping the ball and putting your quarterback at risk or just having a runner who's not really a very good runner, you got Peyton Manning trying to run, you know, to run a zone read, um, you're, you're just, you're doing, you're playing to his strengths. He's, he's making a quick decision. He's either handing the ball off or he's throwing a slant or a post or something to take advantage of a defensive player, you know, getting out of position. And then as a result, it controls those guys to hopefully open up your run game. Um, so I think the possibility is really endless, it's, and it's fascinating to see. And there were a bunch of NFL teams that did a lot last year. Obviously, the Eagles have been doing it, um, you know, even going back to Chip's first game where they um, against uh, Washington where they ran that Selleck uh, on that uh, the little pop pass. While they were, while Vic was reading the outside zone, and you know the linebackers would crash and he'd just throw the little pop pass. And then the next time, they got a ten-yard run on the outside zone because that weak side linebacker had to sit there watching um, Brent Selleck just run a seam route down the field. But um, the Steelers did a ton of great stuff last year. I think it's sort of an underrated story how they were really combining screens and and, and run plays and everything else. So um, you know it'll be fascinating to see. I think defenses are starting to to come up with their own responses, but it's. Um, you know, it's interesting stuff, particularly the last element that I think makes it relevant is that defensive guys are so sophisticated and they're so good at specialty calls. So you see teams going, what's one reason why you go up-tempo, no huddle, to kind of prevent them from subbing in a specialty defense, a specialty blitz they worked on all week. So they're having to line up in base defense. But then you're also avoiding, you know, the Peyton Manning stuff. If you get up there and you got to check between one of five plays, um, or even Mark Sanchez is like a rookie in the New York Jets, and they're giving him four plays as a line. He's got to put him in the right play, you know, getting, you know, snaps the, 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 the play clock's running down. This is just get up, run the play, read the weak side linebacker or the weak side safety, runner pass, and then get up and do the next play. It's, um, it simplifies everything but still puts maximum pressure on the defense. I feel like you and I could just keep talking about this, and then the we're, my recorder here is going to stop going, and then we're going to have to redo <laughs> the whole interview. You, you go in in your book, you keep going, and you talk about uh, Art Bryles and, and a lot of the things that he does offensively, and then how uh, Pat Narduzzi and how they uh, tried to uh, defend against that in the bowl game this past year, at Michigan State. It's just it's just great stuff. Again, you want to get the Art of Smart Football by Chris Brown. Uh, you can get it online on Amazon.com. I know that you know that's where I, I I got the book as soon as it came out, and it's just it was a great read. Uh, Chris, it was really great stuff. I really appreciate the time and uh, joining me here again on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Uh, thanks so much, friends. Real pleasure. Really great stuff there from Chris, especially about package plays and the numbers game. Just really fantastic stuff. I can't tell you enough. You want to go and get that book, The Art of Smart Football. Uh, it's just really a fascinating read. Remember, you can follow him on Twitter, at Smart Football. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. Give me a follow. We'll talk some football. Uh, I love talking with, with Eagles fans and football fans, really, uh, just anybody out on Twitter. So feel free to give me a follow. Really appreciate all of you. Let's spread the word on social media about the podcast. And you can follow our e- at Eagles Network account. That's at Eagles Shows for all of our podcasts, all of our shows, and all of our digital programming. All right, so each week on the podcast, I'm going to talk to a current or former player, focus on one specific player concept, and dive a, d- a bit deeper, past just below the surface level. It's a segment I'm excited about, so let's get to it. It's time for Two Technique. Time to get inside the mind of a player. It's time for Two Technique. All right, so this week on Two Technique, we're going meat and potatoes. We're going steak and eggs. We're going peanut butter and jelly. We're talking power football here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. And to help me out with that, 
I know no one better than a guy I've got a ton of respect for, former NFL offensive lineman, current podcast savant, Ross Tucker's here on the show. You can follow him at Ross Tucker NFL. What's up, Ross? Brand, thanks for having me, but if you want me to talk football now, please don't ever talk about peanut butter and jelly or eggs or steak or meat or whatever right before you ask these football questions. You just totally distracted me. Well, before we even dive into the power run game, I, you know, we, we obviously we've got a little bit of an announcement to make. You talked about it on the Ross Tucker podcast. You and I have an opportunity to talk a little bit more about food and, uh, and football here in the future. Yep, we're going to have the College Draft podcast starting, I believe, uh, Tuesday, August 11th. It's going to be absolutely awesome. Look, I think everybody listening knows now that the single most important part of football, and really fantasy football, obviously, is picking the right players, evaluating guys, and knowing who can play, who can't, who's going to have a good game, who won't, who's going to have a good season, career, etc. And so each and every week, I really enjoy, I do some of this, you know, for some of the Penn State guys, I do some Penn State stuff. I love watching tape of guys and then just saying what I think. And I, and I love doing it, Fran, without, I don't look at any rankings. I don't look at what anybody else says because, and this might sound egotistical or whatever, I don't care. It does not matter to me. I'm going to go based on what I see. I might be wrong. I might be right. But it's based on what I see. I do it on the Ross Tucker Football Podcast for the offensive linemen heading into the draft every year. I'm looking forward to doing it with you each and every week on the college draft. Plus, it's really an awesome way, even if you're just into college football, it's an awesome way to get prepped for the big games and who you should watch in the big games. Or if you're in a fantasy or even if you're just into the NFL draft, we pretty much have everybody covered. Yeah, no question about it. I'm really, really excited to get that going in a couple of weeks. Uh, but let's let's get down to business here. A lot of people have a basic idea of what power looks like. But just in case there are those that don't, let's just paint a quick picture, okay? Let's start with the play side lineman. And we'll just talk about uh, the guys right, uh, to the play side, where the run is supposed to go. What are their responsibilities just in general for a power run play? Well, one of the beauties of it is that the play can really hit anywhere. I mean, I think ideally the play is supposed to hit right off the butt of the outside lineman on the double team, which, you know, if you're going against a an over front, is going to be the guard and the tackle as they juice block to the backside linebacker. If you're going against an under front, it's going to be the tackle and the tight end as they double-team to the backside backer. So I think in a perfect world, that's where the play is supposed to go. But what's great about power is it goes all over the place. It really ends up because guys try to play over the top. Guys try to overcompensate on defense. And so it can hit anywhere. I'm asking to hit anywhere from all the way behind the center's back block all the way to, uh, you know, bouncing it outside on the front side. And I can tell you, friends, my rookie year with the Washington Redskins, I know, boo, Redskins, I get it, right? But my rookie year with the Redskins, we must have run the play 15 times a game with Stephen Davis, who led the NFC in rushing that year. He was such a force running that play. The right side of the line, John Jansen, was so good at getting down on the hip of the defensive tackle. And really, if you, you, you don't even need to stay on your feet. You 
can do if you actually get down on their hip. So no matter how low they think they're getting, you're going to root them out of there a little bit. And then no matter what happens, you're going to get yards because you've knocked them back off the ball, and the linebacker has to bubble over. By the time the linebacker, even if you don't touch the linebacker, by the time he bubbles over the top and, and tries to get on the play, he's three or four yards deep, and your running back has a head of steam, and he has to kind of scrape over the top just to get there. It's a beautiful, beautiful play. Dave Zott was our pulling left guard. He comes up in the hole, and he's really looking for the first backer to the inside. You're not as worried about the outside backer. You know, typically you've got a back or an H-back or whoever looking for that player. Even so, you'll take your chance with your running back on him if you have to. You're looking for the middle backer when you're that guard pulling around who's going to scrape right off that double team. You meet him right at the outside hip of your outside lineman. Boom. And it, it's just awesome. It, it's such a fun play. As a place that offensive lineman, you're able to really see off as the pulling guard. You get to showcase your athleticism a little bit. And the whole premise of the play, Fran, is that everybody on the front side is responsible for their inside gap. Now, if there's nobody in the inside gap, you're going to double team whoever's on you or on your outside with the guy next to you. But everybody's responsible for the inside gap. So if a linebacker's going to try to blitz or run through, you've got eyes for him all the way. You blast that fool. You're, you're hoping he does that. Because that's what they try to do a lot of times. You light him up. That's even better than there's no linebacker over the top. So it's angle down blocking on the front side. Everybody's knocking everything down. Here comes the big guard pulling up inside. Booyah, we're getting some yards. And I know that that role as the backside pulling guard was one of your favorites when you played because, uh, as you've told me in the past, it was the one spot where you know your mom or your wife in the stands actually was able to see you play, see you in action. Well, that and screen passes. But, yes, I mean, that, that's when, when you're watching on TV or especially if they show the replay from the end zone, that's when your buddies or whoever can say, all right, you know, we actually um, – you know, we actually saw Ross pull. Did you see that? He pulled around. He got his guy. So it is cool. And, then, you know, look, that's why they do so much of the testing they do at the combine. That's why they work these guys out. Otherwise, who would care about their athleticism or their quickness or their agility or their 40 time? It's so that they can go around on plays like that and make blocks like that that they need to. It's, um, look, I, I, I'll say it a million times, but. Strong side power, uh, you know, lead week. My favorite two plays, if I ever become a high school coach, they might be the only two plays we run. Lead week and power to the strong side, it's, they're just amazing, amazing plays. And I think on some level, complementary of, you know, they complement each other because obviously one's strong, one's weak. And they're both out of, a lot of times, a two-back set of some kind. All right, Ross, awesome stuff. I think that'll do it, man. Thanks for joining me once again here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. I'll talk to you here in a couple weeks as we get going with the College Draft podcast. Sounds great. I can't wait, Fran. BT, I am so excited to do that podcast with Ross. You know that I'm excited about uh, college football and get that season started. He's come in. He just did his, you know, did did something with with us in here for uh, anatomy for, of for anatomy of a play for right. for game plan. So 
Uh, I know you, get, you like your Ross Tucker fix. I listen to him in the morning on Sirius, so he's, he's a great guy to listen to. Um, I think everybody should follow him and definitely uh, give him a listen. Yeah, that's right. And again, that's going to be the College Draft Podcast. It'll be available on iTunes uh, hopefully by the end of the week. And the rest of our podcast services, uh, really, if you go on and you search for the Eagles Insider Podcast, uh, that's with myself and Bo Wolf and Chris McPherson. You can go to find the Journey to the Draft podcast. We're starting that early this year, so that'll be this fall. Uh, that's with Bo Wolf and myself. So go online, go search for those channels, subscribe, let us know what you think, and uh, you know we'll keep this all going. So uh, before we wrap this up, let's dive into the world of college football. Let's get into Saturday scouting. It's time for Saturday scouting. If you listen to this podcast, if you listen to the Journey to the Draft podcast, if you visit PhiladelphiaEagles.com during the spring, if you consider yourself even a little bit of a fan of the NFL Draft, then you have got to be excited for this guy to be back on the show. Tony Pauline from DraftInsider.net. You can follow him on Twitter, at Tony Pauline. It's almost time, Tony. College football is almost here. You know, it's it, it, it really never almost time. It's always the time, except for maybe the two weeks after the draft, because uh... – Although I haven't been really active on Twitter and the that, I've been watching college football from the 2014 season all summer long to prepare myself for the 2016 draft. So, you know, while the, re- the regular season kicks off in 2015, in the scouting industry, you know, it's been a football season all summer long. Uh, no question about it. But one of the big moves uh, that's kind of lit the college football atmosphere on fire in recent weeks has been the position switch from Braxton Miller, former Ohio State quarterback. He's moving outside to receiver to H-back. He's going to be an athletic skill position player for the Ohio State Buckeyes. What does that mean for his NFL future? Well, it means he's got a bright one now, or a potentially bright one, because he really didn't have one at the quarterback position. I mean, you go back, you watch him in 2012. He, he was an athlete who was playing the quarterback position, had a lot of mechanical flaws in his game. There was word, and I was hearing really through spring practice of 2013, and even in August camp, he looked better as a passer, never really proved himself to be anything other than a running quarterback. He's got, a, he's got terrific size speed numbers, so he's really built for that wide receiver position. It's just a matter of him learning the nuances of the, of the uh, spot and, most importantly, catching the ball. So I think, you know, if you're looking at him as a quarterback, you're looking at a last-day sort of pick because he's a – He's an athlete that needs a lot of work, but as a receiver, he's got the size, he's got the speed. If he's got the hands, I mean, he could jump into that top 125, 100 selections if he has a good season. Yeah, it's really a, a fortunate situation for both Miller and for the Buckeyes because you look at a situation, a guy like uh, Nick Marshall from Auburn last year who didn't have uh, those players behind him to allow him to make that switch, whether it was going to be the offensive side or the cornerback, which is what he ended up playing at the Senior Bowl, may have really uh, turned out better for him in the future. But with Miller moving to wide receiver, that leaves Cardell Jones, JT Barrett at quarterback. Who would NFL scouts, because the, the common knowledge seems to be that it's going to be Barrett that wins this job just because of how well he played in the beginning of the last year. But who do you think NFL scouts would rather see win that job between Jones and Barrett? Oh, Cardell Jones, because he's the better NFL prospect. He's got the better size. He definitely has the better arm. He's a little bit older, so he doesn't have, you know, as long a shelf life. And, you know, he's got a great amount of upside potential. Barrett's a good quarterback. I just don't know at this point in time, that he's real NFL material. He may be in the future, but he's more of a you know a running quarterback than he is a great passer. Jones has got that great arm. Uh, I think uh, when I watched him over the summer, I really didn't agree with people who thought that if he entered the draft, he would have been a second-round guy or even they were saying top 15. 
he's got a big arm, but if you watch the film, he made his receivers work too hard to catch the ball. They were always adjusting to errant throws. Sometimes it was way off the mark, but he's got those underlying skills. So I think if it was up to the scouts, they want to see Cardell Jones on the center. They want to see him get some experience. They want really a body of work which they can go on to fully scout him. Going to the defensive side of the ball, Tony, and I like you, I've been kind of pouring through some of these prospects throughout the offseason, just getting ready for this fall. And one guy who absolutely stood out to me, both last fall and then this offseason, just watching him, Florida State's defensive back Jalen Ramsey. Uh, he played that star position in that defense last year where he was part safety, uh, mostly played over the slot, but he played over the tight end. He played against receivers outside and inside. Now he's moving outside to corner. What do you see as his ceiling? What is his upside? Yeah, well, it's going to be much higher than either of the guys who were uh, really ranked higher going into the uh, year last year from Florida State, Ronald Darby or P.J. Williams. I mean, he was the best defensive back on the field for the Seminoles last year. The overall package, I mean, ball skills, size, speed, explosion, being in the right place at the right time, not having mental breakdowns. I mean, he's got it all. Now, you know, I think it's fortunate that he's going to be their starting cornerback so he can develop at the position. What is his upside? I mean, he's definitely, I think, he's got first-round potential. I think he can go top 20, top 15. It depends on how fast he develops. You know, the interesting thing about that is that sometimes we saw it with Byron Jones of, of UConn, who was a first-round pick. People said Byron Jones was a workout warrior. He doesn't have a great film. Well, he doesn't have a great film because teams were not throwing in his direction. They were staying away from him, which could happen with Ramsey this year. But I think if you see significant... Uh, development at his game, you know, the back pedal, the, the hip turn, the ability to transition with opponents downfield, find the ball in the air. He's got the physical skills. Now he's just got to show that he can play a disciplined quarterback position. I think he's going to be a top half of round one guy, or he ha- at least has that potential. Yeah, and you said he, I mean, a complete package for the defensive secondary, a guy who's big, he's 6'1", 200-plus, he's competitive, he's athletic. Some of the reported athletic numbers just from him coming out of high school would have been a top shelf for an NFL prospect. So really excited to see how he's going to develop. Uh, back to the offensive side of the football, another guy who seems to be a complete package, but there's going to be some questions here because of an injury, Pharaoh Brown, the tight end from Oregon. Obviously, he, he tore two ligaments in his right knee last year, almost had his leg amputated, really just a severe injury that you were out in front of and you reported the whole way, that really the severity of that injury. What is his status looking like for this fall? You know, He's good. I, I, you hope to see him back on the field because, number one, as you said, he's a very, he was a good, very good football player before that gruesome injury. And, and that really set him back. As I had reported, as you said, back in January, it was a career-threatening injury. You know, it, it's a good story. No matter how he plays next year, and I don't know that he's going to get meaningful playing time. I hope he does. It, it, even if he sets the world on fire next year, it's all going to come down the MRIs. It's all going to come down. To the, to the combine medicals as far as his next-level potential is concerned. You know, I, I think the fact that even if they just get him on the field, it'll be a psychological boost for his Oregon teammates. You hope he gets on the field. You hope he gets back to playing for him. Uh, regardless of whether he does or doesn't, it's a great story, and, and he's an easy guy to root for. No question about it. I'm really excited to see uh, what's in Brown's future here as we get into the season here in the fall. Uh, Tony, here we're going to, to close it up. I've got, some, I've got three names I want you to give me. And no pressure. I'm going to hold these. I'm going to hold these names to you. So in December, don't be surprised if I bring this up again. But uh, so no pressure. But if you could, let's name a player here 
that's being a bit overrated by the media right now that people are really pumping up as a as a first round pick but really you know from what scouts are saying probably isn't going to be that way come draft time uh, you know, for me, it's easy. It's Christian Hackenberg of Penn State. I mean, people are drooling over this guy, calling him a franchise quarterback. Yes, he has first-round arm talent, but the rest of his game falls apart. I mean, poor, poor reads in the pocket, poor decision-making, errant passes, questionable accuracy. You look at his touchdown-to-interception ratio, it's not good. It, you know, he, he's, a, he's a good quarterback. He's got, I'm sorry, he's, he's a good athlete. He's got a great arm. I just don't know that he's a good quarterback or a passer, and I definitely don't think watching him on film, he deserves all the accolades. People could, considering him maybe a franchise quarterback or a top 15 pick, a long way from Christian Hackenberg being what many people are making him out to be at this point in time. Very interesting. Well, on the other side, do you think that there's somebody right now that is being a little bit underrated, somebody that maybe people are saying is a late-round, a mid-round guy? He's still in the conversation, but who really is going to go higher than what people think at this point? You know, I'll give you two names. Uh, one guy who, you know, people like him as a second-round pick would be Taylor Decker of Ohio State. You know, people undervalue those offensive tackles, and Decker's a tremendous one. Who really stood out to me as a redshirt sophomore when he played right tackle. Moved to the left side last year, which was fantastic. He's basically blocked. You go back to what we were talking about for Ohio State, three different quarterbacks in two years, and has done a spectacular job for it. People are talking about him as a second-round pick. I think when all is said and done, Taylor Decker of Ohio State is going to be a top-12 selection because of his versatility, because of his pass protection skills, because of his athleticism. The other guy that I can't understand why people don't talk about is quarterback Tyrone Swoop out of Texas. You know, they talk about Hackenberg. They talk about Connor Cook of Michigan State. You watch uh, Tyrone Swoop of Texas. He's got the same size as those guys. His arm is equally as good. He's better making plays with his leg. He's better rolling outside the pocket, making through on the move. When I compare him to Hackenberg or, or Connor Cook, he doesn't have the same mental breakdowns. He's better at his defensive reads. His accuracy is more consistent. When I watch Swoop, I'm just very excited about this young man for his, uh, his potential moving down the road. And I see a guy that people are talking about, oh, third, fourth round. I think in the end, Tyrone Swoop is going to be a top 45, probably a top 25 selection. That's really, you know, I've never heard anybody talk about him that way. And it makes sense because obviously the physical tools are there. He ended up at Texas because of those physical tools. And now he's working with a staff that really brought along a guy like Teddy Bridgewater and turned him into the prospect that he ended up being, which was a first-round pick. So uh, if you can take those physical tools and work on the mental side, I'll be really, really interested to see how he develops. Now, on that same token, we just talked about a guy who people are talking about as a mid-round guy who's going to go higher. How about a player that's just completely off the radar that no one is really talking about at all that really belongs in the discussion? Is there anybody that comes to mind uh, in that vein? Yeah, I'm going to give you a two-pack on that one also. Let's talk about Jared Goff, Jared Goff out of uh, California, the quarterback. You know, when you talk about Pac-12 quarterbacks, everyone's talking about Cody Kessler of USC. You talk to scouts and say, well, yeah, you know what? We like Kessler, but we love Goff. He's got the size. He's got growth potential. He's got it going on between the ears. He's very accurate. He does a great job commanding the offense. Doesn't have great talent around him. Doesn't have a first-round receiver like Nelson Aguilar to throw the ball to. Makes the most of his ability. Uses all of his targets. I think Goff is a guy who's kind of hovering as people like, oh, yeah, we'll wait and see. To someone who really, if he has a good year, can make a big leap up draft boards into that first round. And let's go with a cornerback from Virginia Tech, Brandon Faison. You know, we talked about uh, Jalen Ramsey. Everyone knows about Corey Fuller of Virginia Tech, uh, the last of the Fuller brothers. Brandon Faison, two years ago, also from Virginia Tech, the cornerback, really was a top defensive back in that, in that Hokie secondary. 
sat out last year because he had a fracture in his leg, and then he ended up, uh, I believe, breaking his fibula. But from what everyone tells me, he looks on his game in preseason workouts, and he looks better than ever. I mean, this is a guy who is a shut-down corner. He's got terrific skills. He's got outstanding size. You watch the 2013 film, he was outstanding. And as I said, we talked about Ramsey. Everyone knows about Fuller from Virginia Tech. It could be Brandon Faison, who in next April of uh, May of 2016, could be the first uh, quarterback from the ACC that ends up being selected in the draft. Very interesting stuff, Tony. I think that's going to do it, man. Thanks again for joining me here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. I know we'll be hearing from you often throughout the fall. Thanks for having me, Fran. BT, it's always good to talk to Tony Pauline, one of our favorite people. Does anyone remember laughter? That's right. You didn't, we didn't even get that in there. I know. Got, got to love Tony. Love spending time with him down at the Combine and, uh, you know, when I get to see him during the draft. It's, a, it's, a, it's one of my favorite. He's easily one of my favorite people in sports media. Just I mean, away from, the obviously, the information. That's why we bring him on so much because he's really, like, at the forefront of college football in terms of breaking news and uh, when it's related to the NFL draft, he's you know one of the best. And I know our guests aren't privy to this, but the guy has great stories. So I mean, <laughs> you, you should follow him. You, you know, hope point. maybe he threw something out there on Twitter. But the guy, is something you know, we'll sit there and we'll have we'll have pizza or something in uh, in, in Indy, and he just has great stories. He is he is good for a few stories, although I think he keeps it mostly business on uh, on Twitter. But uh, no, he's one of the best. So, per your conversation with Tony and, and some of the things that you guys talked about, I figured I'd toss it out to you. So, oh, okay. you know, uh, kind of reverse the role here. You're always okay. kind of soliciting the, the answers. Now let's solicit from you a little All bit right. on, on your right. own podcast. Well, so, which one? So what are we talking about So here? let's talk about who is, you think some of the most overrated players or the most overrated player coming into the season? You know, it's, it's tough because especially – you know, all these guys have at least one year to play. You know, you go into the fall, and a lot of these guys still have tw- at least 12 games, uh, you know, to, to add to their resume as they prepare for the NFL draft. But one guy that I think a lot of people are talking about might be getting a little bit too much hype in terms of his NFL draft status. Uh, that's Trevon Boykin, the, the quarterback from TCU. Uh, obviously, he's a very good college player. He's athletic. Uh, he's got a good arm. You know, he can do lots of different things, and he leads that TCU offense that, you know, arguably should have been in the playoff last year. Um, but he's under six foot. Uh, I think that his accuracy needs a lot of work. I don't. Th- I think his arm uh, gets overplayed a little bit. So uh, from a guy that a lot of people think could be, you know, in the mix as one of the best senior quarterbacks in the class, I, I think I want to pull back the reins on those expectations. And I kind of rival him to someone like Dak Prescott. Everyone's giving him a lot of praise. He's a good quarterback. But where do these guys really transition going to right. the next level? Yeah, and that's and that's the thing. And, and at least with Prescott, you've got the size. I mean, he's you know he's six three, two hundred and twenty five. I'm going off the top of my head. I mean, he's six two, six three, two hundred twenty. 230 pounds and can big move. he's a bigger guy yeah. Boykin is you know I think the reported numbers I, th- I think I saw Daniel Jeremiah from NFL Network put it out there it was under six foot I think it was 5'11 and a half 210 pounds uh you know that's just a slight work. frame yeah I mean and look the guy's got some experience at wide receiver maybe you know we, we talked about Braxton Miller uh, and his transition to the what into uh the wide receiver position maybe that's in Boykin's future obviously it won't be for this year he's going to be the quarterback for TCU but uh we'll see what happens with him in the future so going overrated. Now let's go to underrated. Who who's who's an underrated guy you have? Here? Uh, well, you know, there's a couple guys I like. Um, well, the one guy definitely is David Greenwich, the the tight end from NC State. Uh, a quick tip of the cap there to one Mike Quick, uh, go Wolfpack. But uh, another guy, Nate Sudfeld, who the brother of Zach Sudfeld, the former uh, Nevada tight end who ended up with the Patriots. England, he's on the yeah. Jets now. Um, but Nate Sudfeld, six six, two hundred and thirty pounds. Uh, I believe that it was his, what is 
his measurables were, but uh, very good arm. He throws with anticipation. He's got he's got really good poise in the pocket. I think the question with him is really just his footwork, and obviously just working from under center. It's a shotgun system out there at, at Indiana. Uh, he's had some injuries in the past, so just can he stay healthy, and what will he do this year? I, I, I think Sudfeld has a lot of potential. And then who's the one that's off your radar? The guy I would say off my radar, Kenyon Drake, the running back from Alabama. Everyone's talking about Derrick Henry, and I think that uh, Nick Saban has said in, the, in a lot of interviews this offseason that they want to get back to running the ball, and that means a lot of Derrick Henry. So uh, I would imagine that Henry's going to have a big year. A lot of people are, are big fans of him. But Kenyon Drake, I think, can make an impact. You know, on the, uh, on the Eagles Insider podcast, I talked about Shane Vereen with Bo Wolf and just what Shane Vereen can mean to that offense uh, in New York because of his ability to be moved all over the formation. I kind of see Drake in a similar light. Uh, they lose Amari Cooper. Someone's going to have to take those targets. Amari Cooper had 100-plus catches. He had to have 150, 160 targets. You know, I'm just going off the top of my head. I mean, the guy got thrown. It was just fed the ball. Uh, I would imagine that Kenyon Drake, O.J. Howard, the tight end there for Alabama. Big uh, kid. Big kid who can run. So uh, I would imagine that those two guys are the benefactors of Amari Cooper moving on. And maybe uh, you guys have a little sandwich bet, do a little comparison, see, maybe. you know, kind of see who's how, how things are going well, throughout I, the season between you and Tony and what you guys chose. I told I told Tony that we I would hold it, hold this against them, you know, <laughs> even though, you know, so no pressure. But. Well, I'm holding this against you, so yeah. all right. Well, at least you're hold, holding me accountable. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks again to Tony and to Chris and to Ross and all the guests here on the the first edition of the 2015 Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Thanks so much again to all of our listeners, whether you're on iTunes, you're on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, even PhiladelphiaEagles.com or the Eagles mobile app, wherever you're listening. Thank you. And if you get the time, go on, rate the show, leave us a comment, let us know what you think. I want to hear from you guys and keep all of you happy. So wherever you listen, give us a rating, leave us a comment, and we'll keep making the show better each and every week. All that being said, I think that'll do it. BT. I'm all good. Yeah, I think so. So another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For my producer, BT, I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you next week.